0: Thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. If you came with a Bible today, would you open it to the Gospel of John? If you came without a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you, and you can use that. You can keep it if you'd like, if you don't have a Bible. Uh, If you're using an app or your phone, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, we'll get there in a little bit. It is the, John is known as one of the Gospels. So it's on the right hand side of your Bible, to the right. And you open up in what's called the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Those are four books that tell us all about the life of Jesus. They give us more about the life of Jesus than any of the other books in the Bible. And I wanna draw your attention in a few moments to this episode in the life of Jesus with a real family just like yours and just like mine. But it's ironic, is it not, to think that in the worst time of your life that actually God can turn around to be the best time of your life. That that in the worst situation that you're experiencing, some of you have walked in today with a worse situation. It is a hard time in your life. Very much like I learned with the seasons of Colorado. They're very distinct. They come and they go. And you might be in that winter season the season that absolutely none of us like <laughs> at all. It's snowy, it's icy, it's cold, everything has gone dormant, and that just seems to be your life right now. Very hard. And it be very difficult for me to share with you that God can take even the worst time in your life and mixed together with the sovereignty and the purpose of, of God's will in your life, he can turn it around and it can become the best time in your life or used to propel you in a way that would be good and not bad. It would be hard because in the worst times of our lives, it's just difficult to believe that God could do anything with this, anything. And you know, it's a story repeated over and over again in the Bible. Where you see those men and women that have a relationship with God, who have submitted their life to God, are living their lives for God, they face many, many difficult situations. Everybody faces hard times. Those that believe in God, those that don't believe in God. All of us share in hard times, except that those that have a relationship with God have purpose and context and meaning to the craziness of life. Where we understand that there's something so much more than living for today. There's something so much more than the house I live in or the check that I have or the broken relationship that God is doing something so much more. How do we know that? Because God has revealed that to us. I mean, I think of a guy by the name of Joseph in the Bible. We actually meet him as a young man. And Joseph grew up in what we would call today a dysfunctional family, which, by the way, describes all of our families. Because we have all been touched and tainted by sin. There's no perfect family, no perfect parents. But Joseph experienced a lot more hardship than most. Where his dad played favorites with him. He was the favorite one, over and above his brothers. And his brothers didn't like that, of course. And while they were away, they decided that they were going to take care of this young boy, Joseph. And they threw him in a pit and we're gonna let him die in this pit. And through some guilty conscience and such, they decided, no, we won't leave him in the pit, we will, and this is a real family, real people, they decided to sell their brother into slavery through some traveling slave traders, and then go home and tell their dad that a wild animal killed him, and they brought back his favorite coat with blood all over it, and said, hey dad, don't worry, Joseph's gone, he's died, And, and they sold him, and that started a path of young Joseph going from worse to worse to worse. He was accused of a crime he didn't commit, accused of rape, he didn't do it, thrown into prison. He met a couple guys in prison and said, remember when you get out, they forgot him. And he rotted in prison. He went from the pit to the prison and it would have been impossible if we knew, because we know the story with Joseph. We were in that Joseph's life and said, look, Joe, don't, 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 don't get too overwhelmed by this because it's gonna end. There's an end to this that God allowed you to be put into the pit. And God allowed you to spend these years in prison, rotting and being forgotten, only because he's gonna put you in the palace. It would have been hard to tell Joseph, all of this is happening. The worst of the worst, what he could consider his entire life, was actually being used by God to put him in a position to be in the palace, literally second in command of the known world at the time. Why? Well, to save his family that all of this would be softening his heart so he could look at his brothers and forgive them and be reconciled with his family and to save his family from starvation because of the famine in the land and to preserve his family so that ultimately, you know, everything that Joseph went through was for your benefit and mine. Why? Because through Joseph's obedience and faithfulness in the worst of times, Messiah, the Savior of the world, came through this family line. It's hard to think that the actual worst of life can be turned around by God to become the best. It's really what happened with the life of Jesus. The the death of Jesus Christ was brutal. There's just no other way to describe it. It was the greatest tragedy of all time, the greatest injustice, that Jesus Christ, God, who came to earth in human flesh, and for 30 years of his life did nothing but honor and please God. It's hard for us to conceive that because we've failed and we've made mistakes and, and, and there are issues in our life that, that perfection is really hard to grasp. We don't quite understand it, but especially with Jesus in the last three years of his life, which, which we refer to as his ministry years, his service years. He did nothing but help people. He fed people. He healed people. He served people. He washed feet. He taught. He loved for three years and gathered a group of people around him known as disciples. Disciples. That's a technical word that is used to refer to the people that follow Jesus. It would be the equivalent if Jesus was here today and say, hey, who wants to follow me? Which I'll give a similar invitation in just a moment to follow Jesus Christ. But but this is literal. This is literal in that they left everything that they knew and they began to follow him all around Israel, serving and loving and caring. They spent every waking moment with him. They joked around with him, they served with him, they helped him serve, they obeyed him, they listened to his teachings. I mean, this was three years of building the most closest relationship and friendship that you can possibly think of. And then everything changed, almost in an instant. It took his disciples by surprise, but it didn't take Jesus by surprise. And it started with a man by the name of Judas. Judas, we know him as the betrayer. If we were watching a movie right now, the lights would go dim, the music would change, and whenever we heard Judas, we would boo. He's a betrayer, a liar. And in his heart, in his mind, he chose to take a few bucks to sell Jesus out. that's exactly what he did. He went to the religious rulers of the day and he was used as a tool and a means to betray Jesus Christ. And he comes back with, with these Roman guards, these, these Roman soldiers and the religious leaders of the day who were so mad at Jesus. And they brought him and they arrest him. And then they took him and interrogate him. And then they lied about him. And then they falsely accused him. And then they hired people to lie about him. And Jesus stood his ground without it. He just stood his ground. He didn't do anything wrong and, and toward the end of the interrogation they they put jesus out and there was a custom that they had a custom and that was the, to the jews the roman government would give them a choice of who they would release they would release one criminal a year and, and who would you release and they had jesus on the one side should i release to you jesus Or on the other side was a man by the name of barabbas should i release to you this terrorist Should I release you to you, the man that's done nothing but love you, serve you, care for you, or this torturous insurrectionist? And they chose Barabbas to go wreak havoc. You know, people do that. People will live a life of self harm and harm to their family instead of surrendering their life to Jesus Christ. It could be you, you're not the first. And unfortunately, you won't be the last. Well, they take Jesus and they hand him over to a couple of Roman guards to, to beat him. The Bible word for that is scourge. If you've ever heard that word, it means to violently beat. And it was common to scourge or beat someone before they put them on a cross. The idea was to beat them senseless to the point where they either co- confess to a crime they didn't commit or die. And many people died at this beating. What was it? Well, it was two strong Roman guards on either side of the victim where they would lay the victim out, sometimes with their hands above their heads, sometimes outstretched and they'd be laid out, and each Roman guard would have a stick in their hand that at the end of the stick would be these long pieces of leather that intertwined in the leather were pieces of lead and bones and shards, and they were used with full force. They would each take turns, and they would with full force beat the back of the criminal or the accused, the back of their back, the back of their legs, sometimes even hitting their head. Jesus endured that. These merciless, Beating. Not dying and not confessing to a crime he didn't commit. The beating was so bad, besides the punching of the face, besides the spitting in the face of Jesus, besides the th- crown of thorns that was literally twisted into his skull. In your mind, please don't think of the little thorns on the rose busters in, la- in your backyard. Think of an inch to an inch and a half, all intertwined, twisted. Into not as an ornament, but literally twisted into the skull. That's what Jesus endured for you and for me. After the beating, they would take him and they would put him on a cross. Crucifixion is what they called it. Invented by the Persians, perfected by the Romans. And it was a way to kill someone through torture over time and they would put the crosses on the side of a road. I know in our minds, we picture we picture the, the cross on a hill far away. It, it wasn't on a hill far away, or if it was on a hill, the road went right by it. It was an active road, so that as someone would walk, they could even walk by, and the cross wasn't so high that, that you couldn't see him, you would be almost at eye level with them. And Rome wanted to show, through the agony and the pain of those they crucified, They wanted to show, don't you mess around with Rome. We are not a government to be messed with. You submit to us. Jesus endured all that for you and me. He endured every bit of it. The pain that Jesus experienced was so hard and so difficult that there wasn't a word to describe it. A word needed to be invented to describe the pain. Some of us use that word today when we have severe pain. We call it excruciating, excruciating pain. Excruciating pain, that word excruciate literally means out of the cross. And they took him down off the cross after he died, put him into a tomb, rolled a stone over the opening, put Roman guards there to guard it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And for the disciples and the followers of Jesus, it was the worst day of their life. They lost everything. Jesus was their hope. Jesus was the key to life. When he said he had the words of eternal life, they believed him. They left everything to follow him. They left careers, they they left family, they left everything. They, they They cast their whole lot in following Jesus And there he is. It's over. And the Bible tells us that they just went back to work as if, you know, I guess this is the rest of my life. Everything is lost. Everything is lost. You know, Jesus, he was very popular as he walked the earth. Much more popular than even what you would think today. Everybody was talking about Jesus. He had impacted that area so much everybody was talking. And with Jesus, one thing you find about this man is that there there, there is no neutrality with him. There's no neutrality when you are faced and when you come face to face with the love of God. You can't can't just walk away going, well, maybe another day. It's either yes or no with Jesus. It's always that way. It's either yes, I believe him, no, I don't believe him. Yes, I want to follow him. No, I don't want to follow him. Yes, I, I, I desire to submit my life to my creator and place my faith in Jesus, G- or I don't. Now, some of you might be arguing with me a little bit and you go, wait a minute, Dad, there's a third option and maybe tomorrow. But listen, maybe tomorrow is another form of no. Because today is the day of salvation. Today's the day in your life and mine. Which brings us to this time in the life of this family in John chapter 11. In John chapter 11, we are introduced to a family just like yours and mine. And we have two sisters and a brother, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, John chapter 11. First 16 verses kind of give us insight of what's happening. Lazarus is sick, the sisters are desperate for help, so they call to Jesus because they know he can heal. They believe that Jesus can heal him, and they're anticipating Jesus to come. He doesn't come when they expected, and Lazarus dies. Lazarus dies, and great grief has entered into this family's life. We pick up in verse 17, four days later, as Jesus does arrive in the city of Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, a couple miles over, you know, through the Kidron Valley and up the hill on the Mount of Olives. And here's what Jesus, here's the the way Jesus shows up. When he came, he found that he, speaking of Lazarus, had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews, verse 19, had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. Pause there for a second. These are words of disappointment. If you would have been here when we called for you, we wouldn't be grieving right now. Have you ever been disappointed in life and blamed it on God? Like it was God's fault? It's a very real feeling and a very real emotion and that's exactly what she's doing here. If you would have only been here, we'd be having a different conversation. If you only showed up and answered my prayer, you would have, we'd be having a different conversation. And yet Jesus is so patient with her. She says in verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. The idea of eternal life is not new for the Christian church. The eternal God of all creation has said from the beginning that there is a promise of eternal life through a faith relationship with him. In the Old Testament, it was through an Old Testament covenant. In the New Testament, as God progresses his revelation, it's through the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you and me. Jesus didn't endure that pain just to endure that pain. Jesus endured the pain of the cross to pay the price for your sins and mine. It was on the cross that Jesus Christ took the full weight of the wrath and the judgment of God upon sin for all of mankind because sin has to be judged. And you say, wait a minute, Dad, what's this about sin? What is sin? Well, sin is a word that's used to describe how our actions in life have failed to meet God's requirement. They failed to, to meet the, hit the bullseye of God's desire for our lives. After all, if God created us, and he did, then, then he can also dictate to us the best way to live our life, and he does. And every single one of us have missed the mark. That's actually what sin means, miss the mark. If you get in your mind a picture of a guy with a bow and arrow shooting at a target, and there he is, he pulls it back, aims it, there she is, she's getting it all ready, and shoots the arrow, and it goes off and misses the target completely, they would refer to that as missing the mark, or we use the word today, sin, missing the mark. And there's a couple things that all of us share today whether you're here in the room or you're out on the radio on video right now. You're down in one of the overflows. Wherever you might be hearing my voice today, there is great diversity among us. I think it's very obvious. We all come from different backgrounds. We all grew up in different areas. Some of us speak different languages, different color skin, different car we drive, different house we live in. Everything about us screams of the diversity of God. And what a beautiful thing it is that God would take us from every tribe, tongue, and nation and put us together in one family. It's amazing. It's mind-blowing what God is doing. Because so many of us would have never met had it not been for the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, some of us might have met, but not in the best of places. So we won't go there. That's another Bible study altogether. But in reality, man, God is doing a great work. So there's a lot of differences in here, but there's a couple things that, are the, that we all share. And one is, is that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all failed to meet the mark of perfection. We have all failed to perfectly live as God desires. We have all failed to do the right thing every single time. We have all failed to say the right thing every single time. We have all failed in our thought life. All of us have sinned. You have sinned. I have sinned. And there's only one remedy of forgiveness and the removal of guilt and shame. And that's through Jesus Christ who is sinless. We all share that. Every single one of us. There's no one better than anyone else here when it comes to sin. And it doesn't really matter how bad your sin is. Once you sin, you're part of the club. And guess what? The Bible says that we were born, before we even committed a sin, we were born in a sinful nature. Because going way back to the creation, when when God was created, literal Adam, he was a man, and literal Eve, not a myth, but truth, in a literal garden, When they chose to rebel against God, sin entered the human race through Adam. So that now you've got sinful Adam and sinful Eve, and when they come together to procreate, they create little sinners. And that's the way it's been forever. We're born in sin, and we sin because we're sinners. That's the way it is. And as I mentioned sin to you today, I don't stand in judgment on you. Your story might be similar to my story, might be worse than someone else, or better than someone else. We all are sinners. Which means we also have, we also share in this. Because we're all sinners, we all need a savior. We all need someone to rescue us from ourselves. I know it's a graphic illustration, but one that makes the point nonetheless. If you consider yourself a drowning person, with no ability to help yourself, and you're barely treading water, and you're about ready to run out of energy, you need someone to save you. You need someone outside of yourself to rescue you. And and that's life. We're all drowning in the sin, the sea of sin, and we need help, we need to be rescued. But let me add just one more thing that we all share. It's what Mary and Martha are experiencing here with their brother. Of all the differences with us today, one thing we all share is that we're all going to die. We're all going to die. There isn't anyone that's going to escape the reality of death. We're all going to leave this body and stand before God to give account for our lives. To give account for our lives. The life that He gave to us, we're going to have to give account for our lives. And I don't know how, the Bible doesn't say exactly all the details of how it's all going to go down, but I think it's going to be a lot simpler than we think. You know, as if we got to remember every bad thing we did and kind of go through the list and then God's going to go through a list and it's going to be so long for some of us. And what about, I don't don't think it's going to be that complicated. I, I think it's going to be something along the lines of this. What did you do with my son, Jesus Christ? Did you accept him or did you reject him? And that's it. And maybe even today, as a way of reminder, God will play back in the memory bank the time that you walked into this big brown building, and you sat through the music, and, and you felt like God was speaking to you through some of the songs, and, and you sat through some of the things, and you sat through this Bible study, and you were reminded over and over again, what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? Because here's what he says. Here's what he says. It's not a not a Bible discussion anymore. And look what Jesus says in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And these are the four key words today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Jesus says, I'm I'm not just talking about resurrection. And I'm not just going to be uh, showing you resurrection. He says... I am resurrection and life. In another place he would say, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus saying, I am, I am who you need in life. I am, and I'm the resurrection and life. You, You believe in me, you're gonna experience life. That even though you die physically, you're gonna live eternally forever. It's powerful words and powerful truths because on the cross of Jesus Christ, He died for all the wrong things you've ever done. He died for all the wrong places you've ever gone. He died for all the wrong thoughts you've ever had. He died for the wrong words that you, all the wrong words you've ever said. And on the cross, Jesus became sin for us in order that we might become the righteousness of God in Him, that we might have a right life. And some of you are thinking, oh, wait, Uh, pastor, preacher, guy, let me tell you. I don't, I don't really agree with what you're saying because you're just kind of using circular reasoning. You're saying something, going back to the Bible, but you never really proved the Bible, and I so I could do that at another time, but this isn't circular reasoning. You might even be like, you know, I don't believe in all this stuff because I don't believe in anything I don't see. You know, you show me and then I'll believe. Well, it's, I respect that view, but it's not entirely true. It's not true you don't believe in anything you don't see. You believe in a lot of things you don't see. It's, it's not true just to make that statement and try to dismiss Well, I don't believe in. You believe in a lot of things. For example, so let, let me just, I, I've, I perfected it by this service. How many of you here have been to Sydney, Australia? Just raise your hand, raise your hand. you real high. Okay, this doesn't apply to you. Put your hands down. I'm gonna use you a different way. But for the rest of us that have never been to Sydney, Australia, how many of you believe that Sydney, Australia is a real place? How many of you believe? Oh, look, look, there's a lot of hands that believe in something you don't see. You've never seen it. Well, I saw pictures. I know. And you've never been there. You've never been to that big opera house. You haven't been through the streets, you haven't been on a bus, you never took a taxi there, never felt a plane land there, you've never been to Sydney, Australia, but with great confidence and very quickly, I believe it's there, why? Well, I'll tell you why. First of all, it's real because we can ask the people that went. There are people here. Many more people were in Sydney, Australia in this service than any other service, so we got plenty of people to go around and we can go talk to them. So tell me what it's like. Sydney, Australia, never heard, I don't think it's real. And then what will they do? They'll show you plane tickets. They'll show you pictures, selfies and those places. Oh, they'll Photoshop it. Yeah, but they'll tell you about the hotel they stayed in. And, And they'll begin to give you what helps us believe in things we don't see, and that is evidence. Evidence. Evidence is very powerful. And with enough evidence, we will be convinced that Sydney, Australia is a real literal place. And what we'll do with the evidence is what I'm asking you to do today with Jesus Christ. With the evidence you've been given, I'm asking you to choose to believe that there's a real It's still your choice to believe. So those of you that say, I believe there's a Sydney, Australia, you've chosen to believe that. And if you were able to save up enough and grab a plane, you'd find out it's true. It's true. You would act on your belief. Well, the same is true with Jesus. You're right, we weren't there. We didn't feel the weight and the pain that the disciples felt when their best friend died horrifically. You didn't feel the weight of pain that in, their wor- in his worst time of life, they abandoned him. Yeah, you're right, you weren't there when on the cross that there was mocking and they were playing games with his clothes. You're right, you weren't there. And it's true, you and I, we weren't there when he rose again from the dead. When they came to the very tomb where they knew where they buried him and when the women arrived, the stone was rolled away, the Roman guards were knocked and the tomb was empty and in its place of the body of Jesus was the clothes that they buried. They were all nicely folded like Jesus put it all together and say it's all nice and clean. Everything's great. I'm not here. I've risen again. Then he began to walk around and interact with people. And the Bible says that at one time Jesus, in his resurrected life, he was dead for three days, and in his resurrected life, he appeared to over 500 people at the same time. About a third of the people in this room right now, he appeared to 500 people. They all saw him at the same time. They were in the same place, same time. Imagine what that means, 500 people. If we were to align 250 people up on this side and 250 people on this side and we gave everybody just 15 minutes to describe their testimony. What did you see? I saw Jesus. I was there. I had a sandwich with him. He told me about this. He revealed heaven to me. 15 minutes, everybody come. One here, one here. And we only did that eight hours a day, like a normal business day from nine to five. We would be here for 15 days. Two weeks it would take just for 500 people. You go, well, i never met any of those 500 people. Yeah, but those 500 people, they shared with another 500 people. And throughout the ages, the testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has come down to us so that you're filled with a room of many men and women, myself included, that know of and have experienced firsthand the resurrection power of God that lives inside of me, that radically, completely, changed my life from all that I was into and all like the life I was living, the head, where I was headed was not going to end well for me or my wife or my little son at the time. It was not going to end well. And God in His graciousness, He interrupted my life, maybe like you, or a buddy invited me to church. <laughs> That's the last place I wanted to be in, church. But because i trusted this guy and we did a lot of bad things together and we changed he changed his life around i trusted him i walked into a church just like this and i was introduced to a god that loves me but i didn't believe it i didn't believe that god could love somebody like me like me i sort of felt like it was all fake myself kind of everybody putting on a smile and being happy at church. and I, kind of, I spent some time going to church with my parents. I thought it was fake. And the test for me was when they find out who I really am and what I really have been doing and how I really treat my wife and how I really steal at work, when they find out all those things about me, which are many, many more, then we'll see if God really loves me. Then we'll really see. And I began to really wrestle with Like, you're wrestling right now with the reality, is God real? Is God real? And I was in a room filled double this size, over 3,000 people, sitting in the back row. As pastor was teaching the Bible study, God, like what's happening right now, some of you are sensing something far greater than just the words that I'm sharing with you. There's something touching the depth of who you are not just to your mind and to your thinking, but God is taking it down into your heart. When you think of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life, that's resonating with you because you know your life is dead right now. The Bible describes it as dead in trespasses and sins, that while you're alive outwardly, you're dead on the inside. You feel lifeless. And listen, God has sent Jesus Christ to bring you life, but, but that's not why Jesus Christ died. He didn't die so you could have a good life now. He died so you can have a good life forever, forever. He didn't die just to make you happy and get you a few things. Jesus Christ died and rose again so that your life will be fully committed to him as a witness and a testimony of his power on the earth because you're still gonna experience difficulties in life. Jesus even warned us, he said, in this world you'll have tribulation, but you be of good cheer, because I've overcome the world. A phrase that we've picked up over the last few years here is we're always reminded the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come, but only for those in relationship with Jesus Christ. Four words for you today. This is for believers and unbelievers alike, you know, those that have a relationship with God and those that don't. Four words for you today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? The way you answer that question will determine your eternal destiny because Jesus is alive today. And you know what's really cool? When you think about the life of Jesus Christ and you think about the death of Jesus Christ and you think about the burial of Jesus Christ, and you think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's still more. Jesus, from after his resurrection, he ascended into heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father, a place of completion. As he screams out on the cross, it is finished, it is. And as he ascended into heaven, he made a promise just before, and he said, I am going away, but I'll be back. And the good news that I get to preach to you today is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Are you ready for His soon return? Are you ready? Because I can tell you, I'm ready in more than one way. I'm ready spiritually, I'm ready emotionally. I'm ready with great anticipation to be reunited with my son and with my mom and with my dad. But until then, until then, until then, we're going to do business until he comes. We're going to do the Lord's business until he comes. Do you believe this? So Father, Father, we ask now as we turn our hearts and attention towards you to be reminded of all that Easter has become. It's not about any of those things. only about your resurrection and the power you have to minister to our hurts and our pains, the power that you have to remove the shame and guilt, the power that you have as you poured upon your full wrath and punishment upon Jesus Christ on the cross. Why? Because if we accept the Son, you will accept our punishment for us in our place. You will become sin for us that we might become right and have a right life with you. And yes, You want to restore marriages here, yes. Yes, you want to restore families. Yes, you want to start a godly generation where the children will be raised to love you and know you. Uh, Right here in this room, you want to start it now. But that's not the sum total of why you came. You came to turn enemies into friends for all of eternity. To Lazarus, he was resurrected again. He did come back to life. It was a gift to Mary and Martha, but he died again. Because the real life came by faith in you. And so as we pray for you today, we've been praying a lot. The church is going to keep praying. But for some of you, this is the day that God is calling you to himself. This is the day where, like I said, the words I shared were actually used by God to get much deeper than words could ever go. Where God is doing business with your heart and your soul. And today's the day you turn away from your sinful past. The Bible calls that repentance. Jesus, that was the message he preached, repentance. Repent of your sins. Turn away from them and embrace Jesus Christ as your Savior, the only Savior of the world. And so if you're here today, I want to give you a chance to acknowledge God in your life. I want to give you a chance to accept him into your life. And so if that's you and you'd say, Ed, you know, it's time. I got to get right with God. Would you just stand to your feet right now? I want to pray with you. Wherever you are, all around the room, just Uh, And yeah, I am calling you publicly. I'm asking you to do it publicly. Jesus always called people publicly. It was always, it was always something. God bless you guys. It was always something. God bless you in the back right here. I see you. God bless you. And you know, over here on the side, right here, um, who's waiting over here that the Lord would just say, man, come to me, son or daughter. I love you. Respond. Respond. God bless you right here. Young and old, God loves you come it's time it's time you man i get this all the time you're so close all that you've endured in life god bless you guys in the back you're so close you're like right on the edge of the water just put your feet in trust god at his word jesus tells you today that he is the resurrection and the life and yeah it's true God bless you in the back. He wants to breathe new life into you. If you're downstairs, you can come upstairs. There's two ways you can come up. You can just bring your kids with you if you want and respond. If you're out on the internet right now, you're watching online or you're listening in on the radio, you can go to our website at calvaryaurora.org and there's information there what it means to follow God. And you can pray pray with me right where you're at. Who else would say that's me? on behalf of heaven i'm pleading with you let today be the day you're not guaranteed tomorrow you can't just walk out of here and you know somehow like it's you've made it with a me you know it's always about the pastor it's always about the church i didn't like this i didn't it's not about the pastor and the church it's about jesus it's not about the men that he and women that he uses we're all so imperfect we're all so weak that's what makes the glory of jesus so more beautiful that he uses people like us, that he saves people like you, because you and me were just alike. And if it wasn't for the grace of God, who knows where we'd be today. If you've responded sitting or standing, listening out on the radio, just ask God. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I believe that. So I wanna lead you in a prayer that you can ask God to forgive you. You can repeat after me, say, God. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe that you sent Jesus Christ to live for me, to die for me, and I believe, Jesus, you rose again from the dead, and I commit my life to follow you from this day forward. Help me, God, to turn away and repent of my sins and renounce them before you. And instead to follow you and live for you and serve you with all my life in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.